Hi, everybody, and welcome to Ornate Stairwells, Episode 2. I'm Autumn. This is a movie podcast, and I'm joined by Nia. Hi, I'm Nia. This is a much easier intro than last time. Yeah. It helps when you're sober. <laughs> I wouldn't know. <laughs> Uh, do do we have any intro segments that we do? Or do we just start talking about the movie? Um, I I think we just start talking about the movie. Okay. I don't How have any you? bits planned. I'm I'm good. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm pulling up the Wikipedia page, and I thought I was gonna have like more vamping, but all I did was just ask how you're doing. <laughs> This is the great witty banter that people come here for. <laughs> uh, no Regrets for Our Youth is a 1946 film directed by um, a little uh, obscure director. I don't know if people have heard of him. Akira Kurosawa. Um, oh, like the anime? Anyway, continue. <laughs> or did I break you too hard? <laughs> it's fine. Okay. Okay. I'm back. <laughs> I did not expect this joke to play that well. I. Anyway. <laughs> So No Regrets for Our Youth is a film from 1946, written and directed by Akira Kurosawa. <laughs> um, do we, we should summarize this movie, because this movie has a lot of plot. Yeah. Um, um do you want to summarize, or do you want me to summarize? I, I can try and summarize in a few of, like, interjections you can yeah, provide okay. it. Uh, so the film begins... With basically the 1933 Takigawa incident, which was this um, incident involving the Kyoto Imperial University, where a prominent professor uh, basically wa- was having some anti-fascist views uh, or things that were like read as communist views specifically by the the um, regime at the time, and was uh, I think. Like, it culminated with him being fired um, and sparked a, a series of, like, protests uh, that basically got quelled by riot police. Um, and so we're kind of focusing in on uh, the 
daughter of the professor, Yukie, and then two students, Ryukichi Noge and Irokawa. Um, so a lot of the plot ends up being like a, a kind of love triangle between Yukie, Noge, and Irokawa, although um, we'll get into it, I'm sure, as we talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> but... <laughs> pretty lopsided. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and following the protests, uh, Noge is, like basically disappears, and it's revealed that he was arrested and spent time in jail. Um, Yukie is like basically being pressured by her family to marry Itokawa, but we're skipping ahead to, I think it's like, was it 1937 or 1938? Um, it, it's a, it's a little bit of a jump ahead to like, this is the period where Japan is definitely like Manchuria already occurred. I think like before the movie even started, but mm-hmm. also has been doing like various invasions into um, China and like other areas, but it's like before the official joining of world war two. Um, so that's like, I think the, the most important part to kind of have set here for audience members, at least. Um, and uh, basically they're trying to get uh, Yukie to marry Itokawa, who has <clears throat> in the, the intervening years, uh, essentially just like gone full fash. He is a prosecutor for the, the state. <laughs> um, well, he's gone full fash. And I think the interesting thing about it is that like, not, he doesn't seem to espouse fash views. It's just that like, he is going to do whatever somebody like who has authority tells him to do. And like, he's just going to go along to get along. And so like, the path of least resistance in life is to be a prosecutor for like the fascist government. And so that's what he will do. And like, yeah, it, it, it's not presented as like, he has these strong, uh, ideological views. It's just like when you are living in a fascist state and you just don't really do anything and you just like accept a, a job within that, that's like doing exactly what the state wants. You're, you're, you're being a fascist (laughs) yeah Um, and i don't think the movie is like shying away from that like i think it's still like this guy's a fucking fash (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and uh you know there's some like dinner where uh itokawa comes over and it's like by the way i invited noge to come see you which is just a thing that he will continue to do throughout this movie (laughs) um noge shows up he's been released from jail but uh at this time like so the part that gets specifically called out in the the movie is that you had to like renounce your communist ways basically to be released Uh, but there were like other things that historically were happening in the prisons of the time to like convert quote-unquote people from their radical point of view to like I mean, a lot of prisons, like, do this trying to force people into here, like, be a quote-unquote functioning member of society um, in ways that are often, like, heavily coded by what that society thinks is important, um, and especially if it's a, if it's fascist Japan, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of quote-unquote converting happening there. Um, and so Nogue is, like, not quite the same, and... 
Yukie is basically extremely distraught about how the really sexy, fiery communist that she fell in love with um, is like no longer seemingly professing and, and being this fiery communist. Um, then there's like, I for, so I think, yeah, I think it was 38 and then the next time skip is to 41, I believe, which would yeah. be um, like, it's sort of situated after Japan has officially joined the war, but like before Pearl, Har- uh, Pearl Harbor and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cause there is a, um, there is at one point a dramatic shot of a calendar, like turning to December 8th, 1941. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, at, at this point, we kind of skipped over the whole like conversation where UK is like, I'm leaving home. I'm going to go get a job, but it is basically just like working as a secretary or whatever. Um, yeah, she doesn't want to be, she feels that if she stays home, she's going to like kind of default into marrying, um, uh, uh, Itakawa and she doesn't want that, but it's what her parents want. And so she is just like, let me just like, move to a different part of the country. Let me just like totally change everything about my life so that I don't do this thing. I don't want to do, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, basically at, at a certain point, I forget exactly what happens, but, um, you know, she runs into Itokawa. Itokawa lets her know that Noge is in the city. Um, she goes to Noge's offices and they reconnect, and there there's lots of smoldering scenes, um, and then eventually they spend years together and get married. Um, at a certain point, she discovers that Noge seems to be involved in illegal activities, and they kind of just like come to this agreement of like, you're not going to know exactly what they are to protect you, <laughs> right? Um, uh, and then we get him. We get a stare, a stairwell, and then getting arrested. <laughs> um, Very brief shot of a stairwell, I must say. Yeah, yeah. The main stairwell here is really the the one in uh, Yukie's parents' home, um, like the the home of the professor, uh, where you know we get her like sitting pensively on the stairs, and like multiple shots of her like going up and down the stairs pensively because uh, her yeah. room is upstairs. When we established like the the sort of like taxonomy of stairwell scenes, we didn't think last time to include the third type of stairwell, which is like not ascending or descending, just like standing mm-hmm. on or near the stairwell as you feel indecisive about something. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that happens a lot in this movie. A lot. <laughs> um... So anyway, uh, UK is interrogated, but she offers no information, um, and is eventually released. I, I forget if, I think Itokawa has like a slight amount of, like it involved with helping her get released. Um, so yeah, it's not really clear, but it seems like he's like a prosecutor and he's like, oh, let's not press charges. She's not involved, you know? Yeah. Um, so then, uh, basically, like, there's a little bit of stuff going around with the uh, trial. They don't focus on it too much, but um, so like one note here is that Noge is based off of a real life person named 
uh, Hotsumi Ozaki, who was like a spy for the Soviet Union, or like I think helped the Soviet Union um, at the very least, like help spies with the Soviet Union, was a, a journalist and a communist, um, and is was hanged for treason and is like referred to as the only Japanese person to have been hanged for treason during World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so basically culminates with uh, Noge dying um, and then she takes, uh, Yukie takes uh, his ashes to his parents who are farmers and then we get like really, really extended scenes <laughs> of farming. <laughs> <laughs> okay so quick quick thing before we talk about farming um it was just that, like a difference between um how the story plays out in real life versus how it plays out in the movie is um like <clears throat> they're informed that uh noge quote-unquote died in prison last night and it's like yeah. very much a I we're we're not given the circumstances, but it's not like the state decided to execute him or sentenced him. It's just like, oh, yeah. he died, and the state's probably involved, but is going to deny it. You know. Um, yeah. Anyway, the last thirty minutes of this movie are <laughs> really laborious shots of farming. <laughs> yeah, and it just becomes like this this short film about uh, this woman trying to like win over her in-laws to like convince them that she like truly believes in the work that they're doing um and like truly loves their son and like wants to redeem their son in their eyes uh and you know convinces the mother earlier because like Yukie and Noge's mom are working together to plant the rice fields and it's only like when Yukie is like uh morning and then like setting to work like let's so that the rice fields get like sabotaged by neighbors in the night um and so you know yukie like mourns it and starts like the work of, of replanting everything um and that's when finally like the father runs out and blah 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 is like helping as well they all come together into a family um and then we get like kind of a, a little coda at the end of like Oh, your goal was to like redeem Noge here, like uh, you know, now he's being honored for his anti war efforts by like the professor at, after the war, uh, during the American occupation. Um, they're no longer ashamed, like you you know, everything that you want to do achieve has been achieved, and she's like, No, actually I just like I like doing the work of being a a farmer that's like where mm-hmm. i feel most comfortable it you know we haven't talked about how she plays the piano multiple times throughout this and there's like a moment of like my like coarse farmer hands now like look so ridiculous on the piano um like right there they should be put towards like the the labor of the proletariat <laughs> it's kind of the ending <laughs> um the other thing that happens in the coda is that like Itakawa shows up one more time, like, finds her in this, like, farming village in the middle of fucking nowhere, and, like, shows up to hit on her, basically, and is like, hey, you want to get remarried? And she's like, 
no. Yeah. I'm, I'm here to, to go to your dead <laughs> husband's grave. And also, do you want to marry me? Um, and she's just like, fuck off, man. <laughs> fuck you and your stupid fascist mustache. Yeah. <laughs> also, also, part of the conversation is like, oh, yeah, I came here because the authorities sent me because they were worried you would be like furthering Nogay's work. Anyway, you want to hook up? <laughs> Um, wretched little shit man <laughs> yeah i hate itokawa so much um <laughs> so yeah there's i don't so like my thing here that i want to say now that we've done the synopsis but still fairly like at the top here uh one of one of the like curses that i have when I'm doing something like a podcast or whatever, is that I want to like try to find extremes of what are the kinds of things that we might cover mm -hmm. to like show the the range that we might be able to do. Like we know that it can work for the hunger. Can it work for no regrets for our youth? Let's test it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's part of why I wanted to bring it. Um also I just think it's it's very like this is a film that is interesting to me. It is a romance film about how sexy communists are. Um, <laughs> there are parts of this film that I really, really love. It's also, like, by by far not Kurosawa's best work. It's not Scandal. It's not his worst work. He has worse films, but... <laughs> so, this movie... Um, yesterday, we did a podcast that people aren't going to hear... Um, uh, people aren't going to hear the podcast we recorded yesterday about Ray Earth for a couple months. I don't know. I don't know how you release podcasts over on Ghost Divers. I, I only know record podcast, put it up the next day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, people will not hear it until I'm pulling it up uh, August 6th. Okay. So I can count two months from now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that is an episode of a podcast where I watched a bunch of anime. I was like, I didn't really like that. And then in the course of talking about that, talking about it, I was like, I, I really liked that. And I can kind of, I can feel the wheels turning a little bit on like, I can convince myself that I like No Regrets for Our Youth and that it's got interesting things going on. But the act of watching it, it is a like really really slow movie um where like i i think i don't know it really doesn't come together for me a lot of the times other than there are a couple really strong moments and um like a lot of ideas rattling around in it that are more interesting to pick apart than are maybe like portrayed in the film <laughs> yeah um, um like to to kind of somewhat go off of that like one of the things that strikes me um, I noticed this the first time I watched it and it felt even more pronounced this time um is that like there are various shots here that I can see or like scenes that point to later Kurosawa and then there's other stuff that is like I feel like I can see the influence on Kurosawa far more plainly because he's kind of just doing it and it like has this weird mix of styles sometimes um like overall this this film is very uh like theatrical in the sense of like 
there's a lot of play-like staging. Like if you like want to watch a play, um, the whole conversation between UKA and her father, like talking about how she's going to leave home has far fewer cuts than I think a lot of films would do. And like has lots of like the camera just tracks them as they move around the room. And like often they will then end up in the frame together if they're going to like talk and then the camera might like follow the other character for a little bit Um, in this way that just like very, it really reminds me of watching filmed theater sometimes Um, Mm -hmm. in a way that I think is sometimes to the strength because like the acting in this film is very good. Um, As someone who's watched a lot of Japanese films and knows a little bit of Japanese, I can tell that this is like incredibly well acted. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and And I think that's like to its strength. But then I think there's also, Like, you can very clearly in this film, I think more than a lot of later Kurosawa films, see a certain Soviet influence. Um, Yeah. The big one that I kept joking about was, like, Dovshenko, because just, like, the way that the protests are shot, and then also the way that uh, UKA laboring in the fields are shot, um, and, like, the way that it's, like, constructed as montage, and often has these, like, the camera pointing kind of up at, like the majesty of these people like organizing and protesting or like doing the, the work of farmers of like the proletariat feels just so very clearly like this is like Dojenko. This is like Soviet film at the time and a little bit before um, in a way that like a lot of later Kurosawa, I think that influence is there, but he's like made it his own. Um, and then it's not until like, Dursa Urzala, where he's like trying to specifically like reference some of the the Russian influence on his work, I think. Um, so it's one of the things that I just find interesting because like watching this film, I think you can you can see more clearly what was influencing him because by the time you get to Rashomon, it kind of just feels like he's like he's figured out his style and his voice in a way. Um, and you know, I was looking while we were watching. I think like Straw or Stray Dog, for me, is, like, one of the first ones where really I feel like it's solidifying into, like, this is Kurosawa and his style and the the way that he makes movies. Um, and this is, like, interesting in that it's kind of before that and it's a little rougher. Um, mm-hmm. Which, again, doesn't make it necessarily the most fun to watch. Like, the... This is a podcast about the aesthetics of film and the erotics of film and just like how fun it can be and entertaining it can be to watch a film. And Mm -hmm. this movie kind of fails at that. (laughs) But as someone interested in how films are made and also as someone who like really, really heavily studied Kurosawa for a while, um, I find this film really interesting because of the way that like I can see some of that stuff more plainly here than in his later works. For me... um... The movie was wasn't really clicking, and then the sequence in the middle of um her and Noge being in love, and and then the prison sequence following shortly thereafter, that was like the strongest part of the movie for me. Um, and I actually was thinking about like sort of Soviet filmmaking stuff in the prison sequence, just because of like the way like those particular ways in which kurosawa is using montage there there's a really good um like sequence where um you see her sitting in the um uh 
in this prison cell and then like a pendulum is superimposed over it and you see like uh you know her like they cut to her like do a match cut of her and her hair is like more disheveled and like there's some wrinkles on her face and that sort of stuff and like that's where like because we were talking while we were watching the movie about how some of the early stuff is so like theatrical and how it's lingering on these like really long close-ups just like letting actors emote and in the prison sequence the movie kind of turns for me and i don't i don't mean to say that this is better than the other thing just it's what i was observing like turn takes a more like cinematic turn and like how do we tell the story now with editing rather than the actors emoting and i think I, I think the film just like clicked a little more for me once it makes that turn. Yeah. Um, and then I think it kind of tries to bring those two together in the farming sequence by like doing like really long montages with like really intense close ups of farming, but the, the plot just like screeches to a halt. <laughs> and I just needed a little more plot or character or something because yeah. it really is just like let's spend 30 minutes trying to tell a story that is almost exclusively through like close-ups and montage, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things that I find, like I also, there was a point w- while we were watching this where I checked how much time was left and there was 20 minutes left. And I was like, I remember how this movie ends. There's like two important plot points that are going to happen. In the next 20 <laughs> minutes, is it, this literally all going to be farming? And most of it was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and like at least a good 10 minutes of it was just more farming. And then <laughs> there was farming with a little bit of like other scenes of like her back in the city and stuff like that. Um, and it's one of these things where like I can look at it. Like some of this too is like I feel like I can see Kurosawa as still a, a director who's figuring stuff out because as someone who's been on the side of making films, I could see how he could be like, we need to like really emphasize how much work it takes to like plant this field mm-hmm. for like one the reason of so that you as the viewer can also like feel the the true loss of like look at all of the work that they did. Then we see the like giant rice patties, like the full field. Um, that shot is like fairly incredible of like, it's, here's it's all gorgeous. the stuff. Yeah. Um, and then it's destroyed. And then like the heartbreak of that, like having the length makes that heartbreak more intense um, or like makes you as the viewer also more inclined to like feel what those characters might be feeling in that moment because you've all, you've also like endured the work of this. <laughs> um, and I think some of it also too is very specifically like to some degree, maybe ham fisted, but like really trying to have this like Soviet glorification of the, the work of like working people, mm-hmm. um, which is a thing that happens in a lot of Soviet films. There are, there are a lot of shots of like agriculture or industry and this like very proletarian perspective of like, look at the, the real work that the people are doing. Um, that is like the important work that needs to be done. And let's like really focus on it and, and show the steps of it and like try and glorify that. Um, and so I think it's also doing that. It's just, I think some of it is how disjointed this movie ends up feeling is like part of what makes it 
weird to me or like Mm -hmm. makes me lose interest because it is just such a like radical shift from what this movie has been to suddenly like it's about farming now (laughs) (laughs) um and i i understand to some degree like this is a story about like you know the perspective character throughout all this is yukie and it's like her initially like kind of resisting and not really wanting to argue with this like communist guy and then finding out that like in fact what she really loved about him was that aspect and then having to like fully follow through on like how do I take this from like here's this attraction that I feel to this person to like what really drew me to him was his ideas how do I start like understanding those ideas and like moving out of the the sheltered space that I'm currently in and then mm. like take it to the practice of like, I'm actually doing the, the important work that needs to be done, which so one of the other things I haven't mentioned yet on the podcast. I talked when we were watching it, I mentioned this. Um, so I think it's like the first four films that Kurosawa did. Basically, I think it's all the films before this one. Let me like quick pull up again. Um, I had it at one point the uh full filmography for kurosawa so i want to make sure that i have yeah so the first four films which is sanshiro sugata the most beautiful sanshiro sugata part two and then the men who tread on the tiger's tail uh were all produced like during the actual regime where he was being really uh, heavily censored Mm -hmm. and so like the most beautiful is the one that like he was actually pressured to make as a propaganda film. (laughs) Um, Mm. And it's just a film about like how great it is that these girls are going to work in factories to make bombs for the Japanese war effort. Um, It's an interesting film, but it is like also very clearly this like propagandistic, like it, it is interesting. I think in particular, because it's focusing on labor in this way that you can like tie to what he's kind of talking about in no regrets for our youth, but is like so clearly bent towards like, and what's great is to then build the bomb (laughs) Um, (laughs) rather than like to, to like do other more important, meaningful, constructive work. (laughs) Um, But then he makes no regrets for our youth after. uh, So this is like after the war and uh, the, the thing that kind of, like a lot of people writing about it will gesture at this, but I think also there's often an American centric point of view for a lot of like Western writing that you're going to see of like America came and liberated Japan. And, you know, mm-hmm. now it was the, the censorship or it like the censorship changed to the uh, constraints of the like U S review board, but that was far more like uh pleasant or like, um you know, like far less impeding on the work that Kurosawa was trying to do because it was more in line with his ideals, which to some degree I think is true. Um, Like the occupying U S was probably a little bit more like, okay with leftist stuff than the fascist regime of Japan before, but also by much. (laughs) Yeah. Not by much. And like, in this way, so the thing that keeps coming up throughout like the movie is that it keeps being framed as like academic freedom, and this is about freedom and like the work that we have to do for freedom, mm-hmm. um, and whereas, like journalistic like, freedom as yeah. well. <laughs> and that's a a certain read that you can certainly see, especially if you're like looking at 
um, you know, Noge being based off of this actual historical figure, uh, who was this journalist and everything. Like, it, it is certainly a read, but also that journalist was, like, specifically was a communist and was helping Soviet spies. Um, mm-hmm. And some of that stuff kind of gets, like, effaced here. And I think it's hard to know exactly how much of that is Kurosawa and how much of that is the review board. That, like, mm-hmm. they don't want, uh, like... Like, you can have this story about this communist if you're making it be about freedom and democracy, the things that the U.S. are bringing to us. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I do think that also, like, influences its work. And I think also I I can see a version of this film where the work that UKA is doing at the end is, like, more clearly geared towards something beyond just, like, returning to agrarian society (laughs) Um, which is is like a a certain vibe that's happening here Um, yeah um the one of the things the thing i guess i was thinking about it because i was thinking about like um i think yukiya goes on like a, a Yukiya goes through a really good character arc um, in this movie. Um, and sometimes it almost feels unearned because, like, they literally will just jump five years into the future and it's like, well, of course she's changed those five years. Yeah. Um, um, but, like, it's really, I guess the thing I wanted to say to tie into what you were just saying was that, like, the thing that makes and i think this is intentional the movie kind of funny to me is that it's called no regrets for our youth and she spends so much time like thinking about how noge was like oh i don't want to have any regrets in my life and she doesn't want to have any regrets in her life either the film is also about three three people who had a like were in a political incident and had an argument in 1930 and are like still just like circling this one argument they had in this one incident 15 years later (laughs) like this is noge uh yukie and itakawa just spend the next decade of their lives just like in the fallout of this one thing and so i think i think there is something really like great to like hey we need to live our life so we don't have any regrets and also like that was never possible. Like we were always going to just be fucked up about like the direction that the country was going. Um, and that one of our friends just like was totally fine with the fash that whole time. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, I should also note, um, cause I do think, uh, I, You'd mentioned the acting. Uh, I just went and checked, and Setsuko Hara, uh, the actress who plays Yukie, uh, her most famous roles are in the Ozu films, Late Spring and Tokyo Story, which I'm not familiar with, but like seem very much up the alley of what we were, what we <laughs> want to do in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, um, I. So, I I would love to watch some like Ozu stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially because, so when I first started to get into Ozu, I 
like so with Kurosawa, I think I watched Rashomon first and then Seven Samurai, and then I started like jumping around a lot. Mm-hmm. And with Ozu, I'd watched a bunch of Kurosawa, and I was like, mm, I'm gonna start with Ozu's first film. And I think that's actually a a bad idea sometimes with directors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So I I watched a certain like I watched through, and I think I got to Tokyo Story at least. Um, but yeah, I definitely I I would like to just like now that I've had distance from me doing this task in like undergrad of trying to watch literally every Ozu film in like succession like rapid succession this was back in the days when netflix would send you dvds and so it was like literally like send me the dvd i'll watch it return it like two days later i'm watching the next movie um and it was yeah not a great way i think to experience ozu (laughs) i think i think whenever i approach like a media franchise like say gundam for example like I really want to go in um like chronological order cuz I think it's interesting to see like or in the order that things came out cuz it's interesting to see how different creators respond to each other. I don't like doing that with like directors or like novelists because like you really you really do just see at some point like if I went and watched um if I went and watched Rashomon next, I would just see like Oh, he was just better at making movies four years later. Like, yeah, <laughs> maybe I just don't want to watch all the movies where he's getting good at making movies. Maybe I just want to watch the ones where he's good at it now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, a related note that I had, because um, I am more familiar with Setsuko Hara. Uh, this is like a, a fun note. Um, so the film. Um, oh, why am I totally? Millennium Actress uh, by Satoshi Kon um, is like partially based off of her. Like the, hmm. the Millennium Actress is kind of based off of her. So um, that's a, I feel like Satoshi Kon would be really fun to watch on this podcast. Although that's also kind of stepping on like ghost diver territory, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, we should talk about that because I've seen, I've seen two satoshi Kon films one is um one is perfect blue which i (laughs) i think i texted you about this i watched it because i was like oh i feel kind of sad today i'll watch a movie like maybe if i'm just do something that's like kind of productive and kind of entertaining like i'll feel better maybe i'll feel better after i watch perfect blue did not feel better after watching perfect blue (laughs) and the other one is a really good movie though i think it's it's a really good movie (laughs) Um, it's fucking incredible. It's fucking incredible. The other is Paprika, which I was I am not taken with Paprika in the way that like everybody else on planet Earth is taken with Papi- Paprika. But um, I enjoy it, although I feel like Paranoia Agent like does what it did but better, and like two years earlier, it's just a TV series instead of a movie. Every um, it, you and M both, every time I've said I don't care for Paprika, have told me, you should watch Paranoia Agent. <laughs> um, the other, so, I mean, he doesn't have a ton of films, so there's, like, mm-hmm. Millennium Actress. I've actually have not watched Good Morning because part of me, like, doesn't want to watch it and have it be over. Um, like, I don't mm-hmm. want to have seen every Satoshi Kon thing. Yeah. Because um, I, I just want to, like, 
have something out there that I haven't watched from him. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Tokyo Godfathers is a really interesting film. That would be like a fun Christmas movie to do. Um, oh, we should do that then. You know, this bitch loves Christmas. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a Christmas movie starring um, three homeless people, a middle-aged alcoholic, a tranny, and a runaway teen girl. <laughs> and they all get a baby. Um, and they're trying to keep a, like, they're trying to take care of a baby. So. That's uh, cute. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, the, I had some other thing I was going to say about No Regrets for a Youth, and I, I don't remember it right now. So if you have something, I I will think and see if I can remember. Um, I mean, kind of going off of what I was saying about, like, you can feel the the moments where this movie really came alive to me were the moments where you start to recognize like Kurosawa like figuring out some of its tricks like the i associate kurosawa with having like really dynamic movies like movies with like just even when nothing is happening quote unquote like it's happening nothing is happening in a really like cool and interesting way and you see i i think you see like moments of that um like the the scenes uh as yukie is being interrogated um and it's just like her surrounded by three cops and everybody's smoking except her and like they're all just being really fucking still like everybody's sitting super fucking still and it's still just like really engaging like you just think like is something gonna happen you don't know it feels tense despite that the other thing that i was thinking of um is just like the scene um near the end where yukie is kneeling by the stream and washing her rugged farmer's hands and then she looks up and and superimposed over this you see like you know flashbacks to her youth and flashbacks to like her playing the piano um and like as she's washing her hands she's thinking about all the things that she's lost like it's just good it's just good and it's like obvious like it is something that i would think of if i was in film school and somebody handed me this script (laughs) but it's still it's good (laughs) you know (laughs) um yeah i feel like there are just some like another one that both of us just really responded to is there's a there are a few good like match cuts um but there's mm-hmm. one in particular where it's her like um you know on her knees with like her hands down uh like in this like uh you know sort of like apologetic pose and then it cuts to like rakes and it's like perfectly like the rakes on the ground where her hands are with like arms like it's incredible how much it matches it's so good <laughs> um so while we were talking though i thought of the thing i was going to bring up too which i think is just like interesting context or or um like important context for you know i i've watched a lot of kurosawa we're probably going to continue to watch kurosawa on this podcast not like in rapid succession but i love kurosawa a lot um and the so like the west's introduction to 
Japanese cinema and honestly, like Asian cinema broadly was Rashomon. Um, so at the Venice Film Festival of 1951, Rashomon was shown and was like what sparked a lot of interest in Japanese cinema and also to like a lesser extent, Asia cinema, uh, Asian cinema more broadly. Um, there's probably a lot of reasons why, like one was that it was this Japanese film, why like the West kind of latched onto Japan in particular. Uh, part of it too is that Japan had a fairly robust like film um studio system that uh, like not a, not every single asian country had to the same extent at that time uh, but i think the other one is like you know china was like not exactly on the best of terms with the u.s whereas japan was <laughs> like the u.s was occupying them american soldiers were probably also going to the cinema and watching japanese films um and things mm-hmm. like that and so there was like this there's this deeper connection of like again u.s occupation and like an export of japanese culture to the u.s that i think is like continued to persist like if people are listening to the ava episodes of ghost divers right now i've been ranting about like how the way that young girls are sexualized in anime is actually tied up in like the American occupation and expectations that the Japan has about the West and like the expectations Japan still has about like what Americans want from anime (laughs) Um, in a way that's like actually very sticky. And it's one of these things where I get like very uh, annoyed when people have this perspective of like, Oh, anime is just gross or like Japan is just gross. Cause I'm like, no, like literally America is part of why, this happens in anime so like Mm -hmm. let's not just try and wash our hands of it um but yeah i think it's like significant to note that rashomon was really the first introduction and what what started this and i think also explains why like kurosawa's chambara films remained like the big chambara being the like samurai the you know jidaigeki is like period and then a specific area within jidaigeki is chambara um, and really it was like those samurai films from Kurosawa that got really big um, and that like went on to influence spaghetti westerns and then also kind of like spaghetti westerns came back and influenced Japanese cinema. Um, and one thing that I always think is remarkable is like, I don't I don't think you've seen Rashomon, but you you know what Rashomon is. While yeah. we were talking about it, Nora made a Rashomon joke. <laughs> Um, people know like what Rashomon is and it it is always interesting to me that the first introduction to it really was this like experimentation with narrative forms that's like denying the coherent linearity of film Um, because I think it just like really set American expectations for like what is what is this cinema going to do like how is Japan going to be positioned as art cinema in a way where like no regrets for our youth does not really feel like art cinema to me (laughs) no no um it's a it's a movie about like it's a romance movie that's it's a romance and it's a sort of like naturalist drama you know um uh I didn't have a lot to add to that, but I did have another match cut that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> Hell yeah, let's talk about match cuts. <laughs> There's a really good one. Um, oh, is this the the uh, street this outside 
I think it's yes. outside of Nogue's office. Yeah. There, okay, so there's a there's a really good one that is only good because this movie was made in 1946, and if it was made now, I'd be like, yawn, you know, yeah, fucking whatever. <laughs> um, because it's like it's so clearly filmed on a soundstage. This entire movie is so clearly on a soundstage. Like every time there's shots of people outside like there's a shot early on of people outside looking up at the sky and talking about how beautiful nature is and it's like you're looking at a painting yeah (laughs) (laughs) so this is all this is all done on a soundstage but it was still really good i thought of she goes to no guy's office and she calls up for him and then she gets nervous and so she runs out um and then you get a match cut of like that same street later that it, like the camera like basically stays in position and they like you know started doing whatever artificial rain stuff on the set and then the the camera picks back up and it's just like oh time elapsed in this like really cool way and she comes back in and it's night now and she goes and has like a really romantic scene with Noge and this really good <laughs> bit in the like this is like her big reunion with Noge after like you know she saw him three years ago and and they didn't really connect and now she's like coming to him in the night at his newspaper office um and there's a really good bit where they're talking and it's as if kurosawa is watching the scene is like it's not dramatic enough and like has no gay's actor like walk over and turn on a uh, a lamp on the desk to cast yeah. the most dramatic shadow in the entire movie just to make the scene more dramatic and tense. It's yeah. so good. <laughs> yeah, that whole scene is just like beautifully shot. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that, like that scene felt the most like a Kurosawa movie to me. Um wh- where you get like match cut that involves weather into like not quite chiascuro like uh scene of two people like dancing around things as they um like ha- have a budding romance yeah um i just had to look this up so one thing too with like i mean this i think happens with a lot of like quote-unquote auteurs where like doing an auteur reading here talking about akira kurosawa um I think part of why like that Archer reading is so possible with Kurosawa is that the Japanese studio system like is such that for the most part, like actors, um, a lot of staff, everything is all tied to a studio. And so it's like very easy for directors to work with the same people again and again. Mm-hmm. And so Kurosawa had like a handful of cinematographers that he worked with. Um, and, I just wanted to, I like, I looked it up being like, okay, which, which was the cinematographer that he had for this? Um, it was Asakazu Nika, uh, Nakai. And I was like, okay, what other films did they like continue to do together? Cause I know how this works. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so I think this seems to be a selective filmography. So let me like double check. Um, but I believe... So one that's included here is Stray Dog, which makes sense. Like I can see, so like did Stray Dog and then also listed here is Seven Samurai. And I can like see how the style of cinematography is also developing here from like there are moments where it really shines in this movie. 
Stray Dog, I think, like, starts hitting it more consistently. Like, Stray Dog, for me, is the the first big film after, like, No Regrets for a Youth by, by Kurosawa that, like, really starts consistently... Like has a, a sense of consistency that I think No Regrets for a Youth lacks, um, and it, and handles it really well. Um, and then how you then go on to like doing Seven Samurai, Throne of Blood, blah blah blah. <laughs> um, especially a lot of like later Kurosawa films, it seems like he worked on. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I I think it's just like it, an interesting, um. Clearly, I think like multiple people are learning and developing at the same time, and this is like a a film that I find interesting because of how much it's like situating. It it is for me one where I feel like if you want to watch early Kurosawa, like watch this one, and then like <laughs> move on to like Stray Dog and Rashomon and like what came after. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because yeah, a lot of the I mean. Some of the other ones are fine, but like Drunken Angel is not that great of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, it might be better than No Regrets for a Youth. I just think No Regrets for a Youth is so interesting as like this really clearly this is early Kurosawa in this way where you can like very clearly see how he how he's pulling in different influences and working on different things to like construct this film and hasn't quite figured out how to like get it all to cohere into a, a like cohesive film. Um, but is like clearly has the building blocks at this point. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. Do you have, do you have other thoughts? <laughs> no, I mean, no, I mean, I we mean... have to rate the stairwells. Yes. Okay. So, (laughs) couple stairwells. Um, the let's there 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 are three stairwells. One is the one in um UKA's like childhood home. Two is so I noticed the stairwell as um uh. Noge walks down a stairwell and he comes into some lounge or some restaurant or something. Um, and I was like, oh, there's a stairwell. But I don't think anything that significant is going to happen in this scene, so it's probably fine. I think he's going to meet with a communist buddy or something. Uh, and that's where he gets arrested. So he yeah. walks down a movie and his life immediately falls to shit, thus proving us yeah. right. So thanks, <laughs> thanks Kurosawa for that. Yeah. Um, and then the third... This is before this the second one I just described. The third yeah. I don't think counts it, in the the big like smoldering like dramatically lit, lit romance scene. You can see the fire escape in the background of um every shot. I don't think that counts for yeah. for our purposes. No one no one interacts with a stairwell or acknowledges a stairwell. Um I think we should just rate the one in her childhood home. Yeah, I think that's the the main one. Um, I, you go, you go. I was gonna say, in terms of pure aesthetics, it's not really that like, like it's not ornate, really. No, um, no, it is a stairwell in a home. You yeah. Know? Um. So like aesthetically, the stair. I do kind of like the it being like in the corner, and there's like 
you know, the the small curve at the very bottom, like it mm-hmm. like bends ninety degrees for like the last two or three steps. Um, yeah. But I I think really like what I enjoy about it is that I think it's just used well. Yeah, um, I think so too. I think for me, it's like a C minus. It's like just below average as far as aesthetics go. But I think because not only I think it does a good job of um, interfacing with like dramatic action. And I also think that like it they use it really well to frame scenes even when the stairwell isn't involved in the scene so like there's a really good shot that is mostly about the hallway uh that leads like through the house basically so like you have yukie um like stands in the background of the shot and then as she comes forward her father follows behind her and he's coming forward in the shot and then like those two leave the shot um, and start going up the stairs, I think. And um, then the mother is standing at the in the background of the hallway. Like, that hallway is the focus of the shot. But yeah. the stairwell being there the whole time, like, makes the composition a lot stronger. Yeah. So I think maybe with that, it gets elevated to, like, a... I think, even with all that, I think it gets elevated to a C in my book. Yeah, I, I can maybe do like a C plus, but C plus. I, I don't think it's a B. No. Yeah. Um, I should put these ratings in the descriptions, or I should have like a little <laughs> spreadsheet. I should make a little spreadsheet that is just like people can find, and it just has <laughs> movies we've watched, quality of stairwell. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> movies yeah. we watched, director year, quality of stairwell. That's all the information you get. <laughs> um i think it i think it makes sense too because i mean i i love this movie a lot but also i think it's kind of a c-plus movie (laughs) i think so too i think so too um i would not love this movie if it didn't love kurosawa what is interesting to me about this movie is it being early kurosawa yeah, I think if you showed me this movie and it, I, and I didn't know it was Kurosawa, I think I would have gotten 45 minutes in and been like, can we do something else? <laughs> and then I would have got to the farming scene. I was be like, are you just making me watch this to a torture me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. um. So yeah, what should we watch next time? Um, so do you, do you want to pick this time? Should we just do back and forth? Uh, sure. I put a couple things on the list while we were watching, but I don't, let me, let me pull up the list. Let me think about this. Um, so the stuff I put on the list while we were watching, which you can tell because I didn't capitalize any of the words or, um, give you like any information about these things i i thought i put two more things on the list anyway i put in the heat of the night uh which is a film that stars sydney poitier uh and i put orpheus which i believe is a jean cocteau which i haven't seen any of his movies i don't know anything about him i don't know that i want to i don't know that i want to like pick that uh it was just something i put on here i'm also just 
scrolling through films that are popular from Letterboxd from the 1960s and seeing if something catches my eye. (laughs) (laughs) I think the other one that you put on here was The Shape of Water. I did put The Shape of Water on here. I didn't put that on there tonight. There's a couple. I think I put Memories of Murder on here, which I could could do. um, A lot of this is you because you just went through all the DVDs you own, which I respect. Yeah, I feel I like didn't we put every single DVD I own, but I put ones that felt appropriate for the podcast. I feel like that's not me saying that like the other ones are hentai or something. <laughs> that's just me being like, <laughs> if I'm gonna watch the Ghost in the Shell movie, I'm gonna do it on Ghost Divers. <laughs> um, I might. Um, okay, you know what? I'll. I've got it down to two choices in my head, and I'll 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 give you the option between these two choices. I wanted to watch something that moves a little quicker uh, after this, yeah. so we could watch In the Heat of the Night. Uh, are you familiar with that at all? Um, I. <sighs> it's from I believe 1966 or 1967. Sidney Poitier is playing a like black detective from Philly who goes to a small town in Mississippi to investigate a murder. Um, I have not seen it in a couple years. I remember really liking it. I don't remember much about it. And the other thing that I thought of was um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, because I was like, oh, I could watch a gay cowboy movie, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see. I mean, so one of it is, like, you, you said a lot more about In the Heat of the Night, so I'm leaning towards it, but at the same time, gay cowboys. <laughs> I really... So here's the thing, is I like In the Heat of the Night. I don't remember it that well. I really like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and I remember it a lot better, but the main thing I remember is that Paul Newman and Robert Redford are fucking. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's watch that. Let's watch Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, sure. <laughs> yeah. this The movie we just watched was very hetero, so I think we deserve a little gay. <laughs> <laughs> that was literally the thought. I was like, what are gay movies I've seen? And then I remember tweeting something about, if I still thought of myself as bi, Paul Newman would be, Paul Newman would be the reason. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> wait let me ch- let me check something real quick because i feel like maybe uh i want to check one thing real quick okay do you need me to just vamp here mm, no because i've almost got it i'm just typing blah 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 meow meow okay never mind <laughs> i was worried that butch cassidy was like a three-hour movie it's like the exact same length as this movie so we're fine okay i don't <laughs> The other night, I thought of like, oh, we should do some Tarkovsky at some point. And I was like, we don't start the movies until eight o'clock. I I can't watch a three hour Tarkovsky movie and podcast about it at (laughs) 1 (laughs) a.m. Can't do it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You already record Ghost Divers with me for Ray Earth. (laughs) I was so fucking sleepy at the end of that episode. I was so tired. Um, I was also getting sleepy at the end. And then I just anyway. didn't sleep. Because... What? Yeah, what? my body. Why did you not sleep? Um, 
because I had really, really bad insomnia in high school, and it never... I mean, it got a lot better, but... Mm. There are still just times where I'm just like, well, I guess I'm not going to sleep for a little bit. Let me hope this melatonin kicks in. (laughs) (sighs) Do we have a sign-off yet? Uh, Well, we need to plug things. Oh, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell that I did not sleep very well last night? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. Uh, you can find other podcasts I do by going to exportaud.io and just giving us money. Oh, right. Yesterday, <laughs> I said something funny on a podcast yesterday that's not going to come out for two months. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there are moments where you were talking about like, you were talking about this podcast, and you were talking about how people could go and subscribe to the the Patreon because there's not a public feed yet. And I was just like, Autumn, by the time people hear this, there is going to be a public feed. <laughs> um, yeah, I have to like adjust my brain, too. People are going to hear this like literally tomorrow. So anyway... Um, People can find me at FoxMomNia on Twitter or at GarfredAloud. And you can listen to my other podcast, Ghost Divers, on the Export Audio Network. Uh, that whole exportaud.io, will y- you can find it from there. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I'm going to plug here that I forgot to do for the first episode, but I'm literally wearing the shirt today, so uh, I'm remembered. Um, so I made a joke on Locked Twitter uh, where I woke up and I, I had the, I didn't want to go to work. And so I had the thought in my head of, I'd rather be bottoming. And I Googled it to see if there was like any funny graphics or shirts that said that. Um, and none of them were good. There were ones that said it, but none of them looked good. Um, and so then I searched, I'd rather be fishing to see if I could just make my own. And then I saw one that said MILF, man, I love fishing. And I just got really distracted um, and Photoshopped it. So it said, man, I love phobotoming. And I posted it on Lock Twitter, mostly just to make you laugh. And then a friend of mine <laughs> turned it into a real shirt that you can buy from a newspaper in Iceland. Um, and apparently it's actually been one of the more high performing t-shirts that they have, um, which is nice but we still haven't hit my goal of 69 shirts sold so please go to (laughs) shop.grapevine.is and uh, just search milf and you'll find the shirt um and and buy it so we can have 69 of these shirts sold that's my goal (laughs) (laughs) the uh, important context just you know, so people can visualize the shirt. I mean, go to the website and check it out yourself. But uh, there is a great image of like a trout jumping with like a, a sunset design in the background. So um, it doesn't just say MILF, man, I love phobotoming. There's also a great fish graphic. Um, did you see in the last episode description that I listed your Twitter as at Garfred Aloud? Yeah, and then I literally sent it to you online, and I was just like, what the fuck? (laughs) I thought it was funny. It was funny.
Um, this podcast is over. We didn't. I don't think we have a sign off. No, we don't. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at uh, a video of Foul Bay, who is a referee who's just very dramatic in the NBA. <laughs> this is not podcasting. No, it's not. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I can't believe you're watching sports videos while we're podcasting, Autumn. I've just heard the man I love phlebotoming story a couple times, and I was just like, let me see what's happening on basketball Twitter. And Foul Bay is here. <laughs> um, Okokoro is real. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank <laughs> you. 